Well, welcome everyone to the Commerce Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Zakowitz, and I'm excited to be joined by Randy Cole, who's the Director of Content, Digital Strategy at Gorilla Group. Today, we're going to talk about customer-first SEO. I'm really looking forward to the topic today. So without further ado, let me introduce Randy Cole. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Greg, and thanks to Bronto for also for letting me uh, participate in the podcast. Anytime, that's what we're here for. So before we get into the meat of the matter today, how'd you get here? Why don't you tell me about yourself, uh, who Gorilla Group is, and anything else you want to share on that? Sure. So uh, I'm the Director of Content and Digital Strategy at Gorilla Group. I've been with the company for about six and a half years now. Gorilla Group is an e-commerce agency, so specifically we focus on digital commerce implementations for both B2B and B2C companies. More specifically, we really look at commerce and conversion in a broad way. And so anything that touches the customer experience from that initial awareness through acquisition, conversion, and affinity are all different services we offer to try to bring a holistic solution to our customers. Outstanding. And you you live and work in Chicago, correct? Absolutely. What's the best thing about living in Chicago? Uh, Not the weather. Uh, The best thing about living in Chicago is you have all of the cultural and food, foodie type of draws that you'd have in a giant city like New York or LA, and yet it's much more compressed and more provincial in its own way. So it's got the best of both worlds, in my opinion. So I wrote on a sheet of paper what I thought you were going to say. Okay. Food. Yep. There you go. So Great eating town. That's why, well, glad this is a podcast and not a video. Let's put it that way. Excellent. Thanks for that. So million dollar question. What's the pivotal force driving changes in SEO today? Sure. I think a lot of it is just consumers, you know, that we talked about in the past, digital natives, but now we're all pretty much digital natives. And so expectations have really just skyrocketed and people want access to information to be entertained, whether they want a product, a service or an experience, they want that um, immediate gratification and they have no tolerance for subpar experiences. Technology is also driving the way. So technology is changing almost daily. And that is really kind of shifting how consumers are finding, um, learning about, and ultimately purchasing products or services. You've talked in the past about micro moments and things are happening in the micro moments. And obviously Google plays into the micro moments as well. Explain a little bit further about what you mean by micro moments. Sure. So Google really coined that phrase, the micro moment. And what they're talking about is really being there in a person's moment of need. So whether, you know, it's something very near to them. So I'm hungry, feed me. I'm bored, entertain me. How do I do this? Where can I find, you know, a medium cashmere sweater? Being there for them in that moment and having that content instantly available to uh, a consumer is integral in the way people are expecting expecting feedback and really getting their answers and, and solving their problems. Great. So, you know, based on that, how do brands, retailers, whoever it is, when they're looking at, to your example, I'm hungry, feed me, how do they go about crafting or devising a plan to say, hey, how do we create these micro moments and, and give the consumer what they want? Sure. I mean, it's really about knowing the customer and really intimately going, you know, I mean, obviously there's a ton of data, the analytics, so-called big data. In fact, a lot of times there's so much that it really can't be fully parsed. But the second part of that is actually getting on the ground and knowing your customers firsthand, whether that's through interviews, focus groups, and really finding out what they want and then catering the experiences, the digital experiences around that. And mobile, you know, obviously plays a huge part in that in, in the current day and age. Can you speak to any any methods of, you said collecting user data, whether that's surveys or getting on the ground, whatever it might be. Do you have any methods or uh, key points that 
find them to be more successful than others? Because we're, we're in this age where you mentioned that consumers are changing, yeah. attention spans are shorter. I think tolerance is, you know, there's less patience, I think, for, with consumers nowadays. Surveys are one of those things where people get surveys and they're like, oh, I got another survey again. What are some of the ways that you find to be most successful with gathering that? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to do a survey and, and people are surveyed out and, and you'll see that a lot, they'll ask you to stay on the website and the first thing you do is, is X out of it. So any kind of online survey has to be very short and sweet. It definitely, you know, there needs to be some kind of reward back. So you're asking for information. What are you giving back to the person? And really that goes around the entire brand experience. It's not just always asking from them, it's giving back. But getting on the ground face-to-face -face interaction is the really the goal that shows that people, that you're engaged, that you're interested, and that you really care about what they're trying to do. And then, you know, I think you'll get a lot deeper insights and, and really real type of data that you can then act upon. So let's talk about content a little bit. All right, so we have, it's your example, I'm hungry, feed me, I'm bored, entertain me. Let's talk about like a clothing retailer, for instance. So I sell shoes, sweaters, jeans, and I just, I'm on my phone probably, because I'm on my phone more than I'm on the laptop, and I, mm -hmm. you know, I'm typing in something like, "Hey, green, best green sweater." What does a fashion retailer look at from the SEO perspective? That it used to be keywords, I would assume that, "Hey, best green sweater," things like that. You hear a lot of talk about, "Hey, you should your description should probably match what is on Amazon." So if people go to Amazon, copy and paste, put it in there, they you, you get there. What are some types of content that can feed those desires of consumers beyond just your traditional SEO mark? Well, um, you know, there's certainly, there is the keyword element. So, you know, the green sweater example, you know, obviously you want to have content that meets that, but is that enough content to really convert the customer? At the end of the day, appearing in a search result and getting a click is, you know, worthless unless it at some level ends in a conversion. So it's really going beyond, you know, the, the keyword and, and getting a lot deeper to what is the, the person trying to solve. Um, I think as we see the shift to voice search from type search, so type search is definitely the very you know abrupt, um, unnatural language. It's you know how can I get rid of all the pronouns and modifiers to just get that green sweater? Um, as people will learn to talk naturally to their digital assistant, whether that's Siri or Google or you know some of the others that are out there, it'll really kind of change the nuance and context of what they're looking for and allow the brands to to be there for them. So you mentioned voice search, and I find this really intriguing because you never would have thought maybe that it's an actual thing, but it's a thing now. I mean, people need to learn to adapt to it. How the heck can you optimize for voice search? So, you know, it's interesting, like voice search isn't fully matured yet. So, you know, Siri is not quite there yet. You know, Google has made huge investments in natural language search and so on, but people still really do voice search kind of like text. It's a little bit longer. Some of the studies we've seen is about 50% longer than text search voice searches are now. But as these AIs become better at recognizing language, they'll become even longer and more detailed. You know, in this, the range of five to 10 words, like a full sentence, which is really how people naturally speak and that's how they want to be communicated to. So I think it'll be a lot, there'll be a lot of opportunities to really cater this long tail type of content to meet these different needs. And it won't be necessarily all around the green sweater. It'll be about the other attributes of it. It'll be around the lifestyle. And, and in fact, I think in some cases, It'll be about capturing people when they're not shopping and engaging with them on that level in order for them to remember you when they are shopping. So the other day, my soon-to-be five-year-old is in the house. I don't use voice search. My wife uses Siri. We don't have an Echo or, or home device for Google. But my five-year-old is asking my wife something, and 
she says, oh, I have to look that up. And he just says, well, ask Siri. And we kind of looked at each other for a minute, and I'm like, and I'm going, oh, my Lord, what's going on? He's not even five yet, and he knows you can just ask Siri something and get results on there. I find that fascinating because it's normal for him now, which he's not even five. No, absolutely. It's, it's amazing how they've really made these user interfaces intuitive. So we went, you know, we had the tablet interface just a few years ago, and I had toddlers at the time and two, three years old learning how to use apps. And so Siri, it's natural. Kids are learning to speak and they've heard it a few times, so they think it's a natural way to, you know, to communicate. And so, you know, the, the data that I've seen says voice search will be about 50% of all um, searches in 2020. But on the crazy side, Facebook just this past week um, at their F8 conference unveiled the proof of concept for thought search, literally taking your thought and in, in putting it into a search interface to come up with content for you. And this sounds very Orwellian, sounds like suit, like science fiction, and yet that's just a, they have a five-year plan for it. So let's say they're wrong and it's 10 years, but that's where we're headed is type search to voice search to thought search, which in theory combines the privacy of text, of typing, with the natural language of speech. So it's crazy where we're going. How does ad blocking software play into this? Because you mentioned in recent presentations that ad blocking software is on the rise. It's been in the news recently, of course. And if companies can target you less via ads and voice search is becoming more prominent, you've got to believe that they're going to look for a way to monetize or insert ads into that voice search. How do you see that that whole thing playing out if it plays out at all? So, you know, the thing about ad blocking is it's where it's really a threat is to the publishing world. We've grown up or the internet's grown up as a um, ad supported platform where Advertising really pays for all the free content you're able to consume. And if ad blocking reaches a certain threshold, these publishers will not be able to monetize and sustain their businesses. People have shown a reluctance to pay for content other than a very select number of publishers like the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times have you know, made some inroads there. So what we're, we're headed is possibly a fee-supported internet. And if that results in the shakeout of publishers, the, the traditional publishers, could be a huge opportunity for brands to really step in that void and becoming that information source that consumers are going to need, whether that's you know around outdoors or whatever their interests are. If there's not a, a magazine to fill that void, there certainly is a need for the content, and that's where brands can really step in and possibly take advantage of that. How does the changing face of SEO and consumer behavior, how does the purchase behavior of consumers fit into this. So we're seeing mobile dominate in terms of website traffic, mm-hmm. internet usage, shopping, but the conversions are dominant, predominantly happening on the laptop or desktop side, mostly laptops now. Now that number's shrinking and it's getting there. At some point it will pass, but as a, a retailer or a brand that's looking at, hey, we need to optimize for mobile voice search, but these conversions are happening on a maybe not voice searchable device, how does that impact their SEO strategy? Well, you know, it's true that obviously mobile does lag behind desktop in terms of average order value and conversion rate, but you really have to look at mobile as a piece of a bigger picture. And we all do research on multiple devices. Um, So if mobile is not the point of purchase, it's certainly influencing a vast uh, number of 
sales in general. I saw some research that said, you know, digital in general is going to, is going to influence about 90% of all transactions in the next couple of years. So whether that's, you know, someone looking in a store and buying it in the point of sale, although we've seen, you know, quite a shakeout in the, the retailer world lately, or whether that's taking that information and saving it for when they get home from work or from their commute and buying it on the desktop, mobile's playing a huge role into that. And so you definitely cannot discount that. In fact, uh, Google has flipped their entire search index to be mobile first as of last December. So to ignore the mobile inter interface and that mobile paradigm is really um, at any brand's expense. So I, I've been saying a lot that mobile is a term we should probably lose and just say, mo if you're not mobile optimized, you're just not optimized. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's becoming less about the channel and just more about the entire holistic connection with the customer across all channels. And you know, we're seeing you know, the further fragmentation of that all, all the time as technology evolves. So do you think we'll ever get to a point where browsing on mobile phones will be as dated as browsing on desktops are today? Yeah, I mean, if some of the big players that are driving things, you know, the Amazons, the Facebooks, are, get their way, the smartphone as is a, is a primary interface has about a 10-year shelf life in the developed world. So, you know, middle of the 2020s, they're looking at augmented reality devices using your glasses, the idea of the thought search that I had mentioned earlier as really being your primary interface. The idea of browserless commerce, um, you know, that's the echo. What happens when you ask for something via echo? Well, our better question is what doesn't happen is you don't see a search result page. There is no, no search result page. They're completely front running the internet by offering this convenience of instant gratification for your purchase. So um, I think the, the smartphone will be very critical for the near term, but over the long term, I think people, brands and all of us need to really look ahead at what's coming next or what's possible next. And it could be almost anything. Yeah, it's really fascinating to me. Mobile phones especially. You ever see the movie Alien? Long time ago, yeah, Sigourney Weaver. Right? I find it fascinating my mobile phone today is probably more powerful than that spaceship was mm -hmm. back then. And so things have come a really long way from that. If I'm a retailer and I want to take this customer first SEO approach, right, or I just want to rethink or, or talk to someone about, hey, am I doing things the right way? Am I doing it based on the fact we're in 2017 right now? Where do I go? How do I get started? You know, what should I be looking at? Obviously, you guys can certainly help at, at Gorilla Group, but mm -hmm. what's step one for that for that retailer brand? Again, I think it's about you know understanding your customers and what they want, what they need, what what are their goals, and how can you help them accomplish it. I think once you have that and you really make a commitment to just really high quality, incredible content, whether that's at the product level, which is you know seems matter of fact, but really owning your own product content. So if say you're a brand and you sell through 15 retailers, are you giving them the same content you're using? And so now you've diluted it across 16 websites and that's just obviously a very small ballpark. But what about the value added content? What are you doing to really make your customers say wow and, and really being there for them? And you know whether that's again, informing them, entertaining them, Coming up with this this great content will will feed into the the basics of the algorithm. Sure, there's other best practices around SEO. There's technical considerations, site performance considerations, security considerations are all hugely important. But really, it's the great content that's going to differentiate. Best practices don't differentiate; they're really a race to the middle. So we talk about great content. We talking? Are you referring to video at all as well? Because you have a lot of retailers that will produce videos for either how tos or encouragement or, or training. If you're talking about video at all, how do you see that changing if we're going, moving to more a browserless type uh, experience? 
Sure. So that's where, you know, I, I, when I mentioned about being there for customers when they're not shopping, that's where video can have a huge impact. Video has been proven to be highly effective. People like video, uh, uh, video at product, on the product detail level has been shown to boost conversion. So I think you need to take a, a very measured approach and be smart about it because video can be, you know, hugely expensive investment. You need to start testing it. I wouldn't, you know, go head first without doing some sampling and seeing what kind of content works, what doesn't, what does your audience want or not. And then, you know, obviously using that data to drive the, the subsequent iteration of video. Are there any retailers or brands out there that you see doing customer first SEO extremely well right now? Yeah, there, there are definitely a few that have really taken on this, this idea of, you know, going beyond the transaction. Um, but at the transactional level, like a Nordstrom does a great job where they've made a huge investment in video of um, shooting fashion on their own like digital catwalk. And they will take manufacturers' copies, so say they're selling from St. John Knits, and create their own romance copy to go along with it. So I think they're doing a great job. But on the other side of it, they're like L'Oreal uh, launched a, a site called fabbeauty.com, which you won't even see the word L'Oreal except possibly in the trademark and the footer, just really to push the idea of that whole beauty as a topic of interest for millions and millions of men and women, women and men, should I say, and they're doing it at a very high level to really drive people into that category. Now, granted, L'Oreal has a big market share, and they're going to drive you eventually into their product, but they're taking a very high road to it. General Mills has a site called Tablespoon, which they've taken a membership approach, so that's it's very non-product-specific content all around the cooking and ingredients and sourcing. Um, but once you're a member, you get a, uh, access to exclusive contests and perks and other things that really kind of bring you back into that General Mills fold. So they're really using it with uh, for two purposes. A third one I'll mention is a smaller brand called RX Bar, and they've took a really no frivolous approach to their product claims, uh, really a, an unmarketing approach, very forward. Their, their tagline is no BS, and they've done that all around their content. So all their value-added content is around showcasing their actual customers in their lives whether that's a small gym owner or a, a mom that's a label reader, and really creating content around them, showcasing them as the heroes of the brand. And it's been, I think, you know, pretty successful for them. Very cool. So if I put you, ask you to put your Nostradamus hat on, uh, you've alluded to a lot of these things, which I would anticipate would be your answer for this question already. But how do you see SEO changing, say, over the next five years? Yeah, so I think the one you know thing, we, we definitely talked about a lot of things with browserless. I know we're going to see a further pressure on organic search results, especially for shoppable queries, obviously, because Google generates still 90 plus percent of their revenue through advertising. So they're really going to try to push people into those paid clicks. But I think where there could be uh, the next frontier is going to be through AR, augmented reality, and virtual reality. As these technologies become more mainstream and more people adopt them, the idea of using them for shopping makes you know a huge amount of sense. And then having optimized content for that, that a Google would be willing to show to a user, I think might be the next frontier for SEO come the next you know, three to five years. Very cool. So I look forward to seeing how it all plays out. I mentioned I'm not an expert at this topic. We've talked about a lot of things today. You've given really good information. Is there something I neglected to ask you that the audience should probably know on this topic that maybe I neglected? Sure. I mean, you know, I have a, a kind of a saying where I'll say that SEO is an ingredient, not a recipe. And what I mean by that is SEO is important. I mean, there, there you know, obviously more channels and, and so on. 
that have siphoned off people from the organic search result. But really, there needs to be a broader content strategy and content governance around the entire brand's mission, from the website to social to value added content. And that'll really feed into that SEO, which is you know a core piece of that entire puzzle. Very cool. You ready for one last question? Sure. This is game show oriented. Okay. So I'm going to fire away. I'm going to give you 15 seconds. Okay. You need to name as many fish as you can in 15 seconds. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Go. Shark, flounder, guppy, goldfish, eel, stingray, uh, narwhal. That's well, not a fish. That's a whale. Uh, Hamach, tuna, uh, yellowtail. I'm into, now I'm into sushi. I, I kind of so you, you've got nine. I gave you narwhal nine because you were very particular with that. You, you broke down the species very well. I'm impressed. So I'm going to give you that as a, as a fish. But you got nine. But so far, nine's the number to beat. Okay. Uh, so Randy Cole, Director of Content and Digital Strategy at Gorilla Group, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, any closing remarks you want to make? Um, no, I just I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, and I've had a, a great time. So thanks very much for having me, and thanks to Bronto as well. All right, great. Let's do this again sometime. Great. I would love to. All right. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Commerce Marketer Podcast. And until next time, have a great day.